Last week, we introduced this book of Acts as the sequel to Luke's gospel, where he accounted the life of Christ. And if you are someone that hasn't yet signed up for our follow-up devotionals that come out on Wednesday, go to the website and go to the email messages and sign up for that because we dive deeper. And that's especially important in a book like Acts where we're not going to be able to cover everything on a Sunday morning. So on Wednesday, you'll get a devotion that you can read through and it'll remind you what we talked about this last Sunday and also give you a little bit more to chew on until the following Sunday. So this collection of events in Acts is all about the apostles and disciples being given a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And here they do it. They were given a message and then they acted out. And throughout this book, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working through the apostles and doing many mighty works to authenticate that message. And these followers of Jesus had waited for the Holy Spirit to give them the signal. And they got that signal. The wind blew and the fire fell and they were able to speak to people from all over the world. And each group heard in their own language. And God's presence was clearly evident. Previously, God had dwelt in his temple, and now his people are his temple, and he is on the move in the streets. So needless to say, this whole thing got people's attention, and they gather around. And Peter takes that opportunity to speak up. First, Peter wants to address the elephant in the room. He says, look, I know y'all are here to speak other languages that you don't understand, and I can imagine how you might think that we're drunk or something. And Peter says, that's not the case. It's too early to get drunk. Which that's a weird defense, right? But that's what he said. And later in Ephesians, Paul tells us, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And maybe Paul was trying to remind the church about this time at Pentecost where they were completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. But Peter here tells this huge crowd of thousands of people in Jerusalem that the time has come. You have heard of the prophecies where God was going to pour out his spirit on us. And it's happening now. Now is the time. Christ paid our sin debt on the cross. And now salvation is available for everyone. Next Sunday is the Sunday on the calendar that we celebrate this time known as Pentecost. So here's Peter's message. If you turn in Acts chapter 2, Peter's message at Pentecost will be in verse 21 to start off with. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is awesome, right? This is amazing encouragement that everyone, even you, right? Even me and all the stuff that I've done, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter gets up and starts to preach. But just a short while ago, he was losing his faith and he was sinking into the ocean. He was trying to keep children away from Jesus. He had gotten an argument about who was the greatest disciple. He tries to worship Moses and Elijah. Tries not to let Jesus wash his feet. Falls asleep in the garden. Cuts off somebody's ear. And then finally he denies Christ that he even knows him three times. And then after the death of Christ, he goes back to fishing. Leaves the ministry altogether. I think... When Peter's saying that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he realizes, even people like me, Peter is different. 
That was Peter's story before the resurrection. That was his failure after failure after failure before the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Peter is a different person now. The resurrection changed him. He's no longer denying that he knows Christ. He's shouting out the story of Christ for a whole city, saying, I was there and this is how it happened. Peter quotes the Old Testament book of Joel and tells them, the Spirit of the Lord would be poured out on his people. And he's saying, now's that time. This is the time that we've waited for. And next he reminds them of the whole story, back from the beginning in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Check this out. He just goes on and says it. He says, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. At the cross, all had looked lost. And it looked like everything that Jesus said and did was for nothing. And Peter's preaching to the same city that Jesus was crucified in. They had seen it happen. But when it looked like this situation ended in failure, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. But think about how radical this message was, right? That this guy won. Think about that as Peter points. I'm sure each of them had this mental picture on who Jesus was and that this is how it ended. And Peter's telling them, this is the Messiah. Death could not hold Jesus. And it looked like he was down for the count, but Jesus rose up from the grave. And Peter says, we were witnesses of him as a risen Christ, and many others did as well. And he walked with us for 40 days and ascended to heaven right before our eyes. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we were all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out this, this thing that has gotten your attention, this thing that, this excitement that you're feeling right now, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter goes on to tell them that Jesus didn't leave them alone when he went back to heaven. He left us with his spirit, the fire, the wind, the speaking in many different languages, the boldness to stand before you now and speak uh, about this Jesus. Peter is saying, this is the Holy Spirit and we are eyewitnesses. You saw this Jesus. You knew who he was. You remember the miracles and the healings and the raising from the dead. You heard that he himself had got up from the grave. Well, this is what's next, and you are invited. Peter's telling these people that might have participated in the crucifixion that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, even you. The same people that shouted crucify him not that long ago are now confronted with this message of Jesus that they saw die. The story wasn't over. Death had not won. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain 
that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus was the Messiah. And you may have missed out on following him in his life, but you can follow him after his death and resurrection. And how can you not follow him? How can you not participate and become a follower of Jesus? He has the power. He has the glory. And God made it obvious who Jesus was by raising him up from the grave. And Jesus now sits on the right hand of God, a position of power. And that's the funny thing about sitting down. Does it ever feel like, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, that they know they just have a mental idea of when you're sitting down, like you just sat down, right? And that's when they're going to ask you to do something, right? But Jesus sits down. But he sits down just like we do because we think we're done, right? And, we sit, and Jesus sits down right here because he's finished. The work is done. God wins. And one day he will get up again and call us back to him. But he sits down because it's finished. You ever watch a, ba a basketball game and one team is up by 30 points and everybody puts their bench in, right? Everybody knows who's going to win, but they have to play out the clock. Everybody knows who's got the victory, but the clock has to play out. And that's where we are right now. Jesus has claimed the victory. Game over. And right now we're just waiting on the clock to run out and Jesus to come back again and take his place in the victor circle. Well, this crowd of people from all over the world, all different languages, hear this message. The Bible tells us they're hit right in the heart. They take this message personally and they hear it. And then they ask what they should do with it. Verse 37 tells us that. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They felt the message of the gospel. They were heartbroken over what they had done. And they understood their sin in rejecting Christ. And they were ready to respond. And they wanted to know how to be saved. And Peter tells them, repent. To repent literally means to change direction. I was going this way. And then I turned around and now I'm going this way. That is what it means to repent to repent, you have to admit that the way I was going was a wrong direction, so now I'm going to change my direction and put my faith in a new direction. That's saying I, was, uh, I used to be a person that chased sin and selfish things, and now I want to follow Jesus. And to put your faith in this Jesus that saved you from your sin. And this is the decision that each and every one of us must make for ourselves. No one can repent for you. It doesn't matter what your parents did. It doesn't matter what someone else did. There is no work. It is all about the repentance and faith that you put on Jesus Christ. Peter says, repent and then be baptized. And this is the order of how these two things work. Admit you're a sinner Put your faith on Jesus and repent from your sin and then be baptized. Baptism is an important step of obedience to publicly proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus. 
And at times in our past, being a follower of Jesus and identifying with Christ could have even gotten you killed. And in some cultures today, you might even be shunned from your family. Tori's uncle is a pastor in Florida, and he had a, a family that had moved from Iran, rent a house from him. And he was able to talk through uh, this uh, conversion from being a Muslim to being a Christian, and they accepted Christ. And they knew what it was going to cost them if their family back in Iran would ever have found out. But they still took that step of baptism and identifying with Jesus, knowing that it could cost them something. And I doubt any of us have ever had to think in those terms. Baptism is not a small thing. It's saying, I've accepted it forgiveness and repented of my sin. I am saved and I'm a follower of Jesus. And I know now, yes, that people might hold me accountable for being a follower of Jesus, but I want to obey Christ. Kevin Rao says there's no such thing, at least in Acts, as being a private Christian. And these people were ready to live out their faith in public even if it costs them something. Repent and then be baptized is the order. No work of salvation. Uh, there is no work involved in salvation apart from the work of Jesus on the cross. Later, Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 1.17 when he tells us that he wasn't called to baptize, but rather called to preach the gospel and that those two things are not the same. And along with this salvation, these people would also receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, Peter goes on. It says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And Peter, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. This generation here that Peter's preaching to had literally rejected a physical Christ, Jesus the Messiah. But Peter preaches to them many other words and then calls them to make a decision about Jesus. And they do. And they repented and received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And then they made that public identification with Christ. 3,000 of them. The Holy Spirit was showing off. God was moving through the streets of Jerusalem. This was the first real evangelical outreach of the church age. And it went amazingly. Can you imagine what it would be like to go from 120 to 3,100 overnight? Right? Right? Peter sure as heck couldn't have done everything on his own. Even a dedicated 120 people couldn't minister to 3,000 people. And when these Christians, these new believers uh, were added to the church, they jumped in and they participated. They didn't just call themselves Christians. They understood that they had to participate in order to be together with the church. Verse 42 tells us how they participated. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. It became clear to them, these new Christians, that they needed to learn 
And they dedicated themselves to learning more about Christ. They knew it was their responsibility to deepen their own faith. And then it says they fellowshiped together with the community. They didn't isolate themselves. They jumped in. They took action. They ate together. And they prayed together. See, the New Testament always assumes that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you will be a full participant in a church body. And if you can't do it here, go do it somewhere. Non-participating church members is not really a member. You just have your name on a file somewhere. Gathering together, growing together, giving together is what the church has been about since the very, very beginning. See, this thing called the church was new and they were very excited about it. The Holy Spirit was doing big things to show them that God was all over this new thing called the church. The old ways were behind them and the new covenant had come. Verse 43, it says, All came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They shared themselves and they shared what they had. The church people saw needs and filled them for each other. They loved each other. They made space for each other. They built this new community called Believers. And this is the example that we have. This is how involved that we ought to be with each other. Sharing ourselves and what we have. Well, how often should we do that? Like once a year, right? At a church picnic, I'll bring something, you bring something. We'll call it good. Acts 2, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day, they were together every day. Wow. Yeah, these people were a part of each other's lives. They didn't ignore each other. They didn't just shake hands once a month. They knew each other and they lived their lives together. And it made a difference. And they pointed each other to Jesus. This community was generous and they praised God together. And what happened was the people in the community saw that they were different and they wanted to join in. And the people were being saved every day of the week. The church has never supposed to have been a one-week event that you quietly attend and then go home. Being a follower of Jesus means you Fully participate with, together with each other, sharing your lives, being together, checking on each other, praising God together, weeping and praying together eight days a week. Y'all heard that song before, right? I first heard that song when I worked at Chuck E. Cheese. If you thought the original was good, you should hear Chucky's version. <laughs> Being a follower of, those of you that are like 19, go Google it, okay? <laughs> but being a follower of Jesus means that we are fully participating together. It's not just this thing 
that we have today, this watered-down American church where we say that we just go to church and we attend a service a couple times a month and we check a box and we're good to go. A church is a body. A church is a family. A church is together. And if you don't know anybody else in your church, you're not participating in your church. If you don't have people around you, a community around you, you've got to jump in. And you might say, well, Pastor Phil, it's somebody else's responsibility for me to be able to do this. No, we can't wait for that. You've got to take steps, invite someone out to eat, ask somebody to pray with you about something, open yourselves up, get somebody's phone number, do what you've got to do to become together as a church. It's never been a thing where you just check a box and you're good to go. Post-COVID church attendance in America is down 30%. And a one-week event was never enough to begin with. Even before COVID, the Barna Group reported only 30% of Americans attended church weekly. And since 2009, numbers of church attendance across generations in every category have fallen by 15%. That's seniors, boomers, Gen X, across the board. And a church service was bare minimum of what we should do as far as participation. Church, church attendance has never been enough. Being a follower of Jesus is a lifestyle where you live it out everywhere. Loving God, loving your neighbor, and going all week long. And this is what the early church did. When Jesus left to sit at the right hand of the Father, he promised that the gospel would be spread to the entire world. And that starts here in Acts chapter 2. Peter says this gospel was a promise for those that were afar off. And that's not just geographically, but spiritually too. The gospel was for me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And we see that on the day of Pentecost, Peter and all the disciples, all the apostles acted out the Holy Spirit power and spoke the words of the gospel. And people came to Christ and put their faith in Jesus and the church paid attention to each other, and their schedule showed it. When was the last time you did something with someone in your church family? We can't be living our lives together and be the church that we're supposed to be unless you're participating together and making room for each other. The kingdom of God was at hand, and it was about to break through into every dark and confused corner of the world. After this ceremonial feast of Pentecost, these people would go back to their homeland and take the gospel with them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You know what's awesome? It's right now, we're standing in the uttermost parts of the world. There were no Americans in the Bible. Spoiler alert, right? America didn't exist. Romans were the closest thing to Caucasian people in the Bible. You mean that probably wasn't as white as Jesus was? Sorry. I don't know how you could ever be that white. It's practically see-through. But I'm so thankful that I am included, right? That even thousands of years later and thousands of miles away, we get to participate in what happened on Pentecost. 
And we get to take part in what the Holy Spirit was doing. And we get to have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's not take it for granted. And let's not convince ourselves that attending a church event at 10 a.m. on a Sunday a couple times a month is what being a Christian is all about. Being a part of a church is putting yourself out there and sharing your life and being vulnerable and lifting each other up and praying with each other and breaking bread together. We said we wanted to do this in 2020. We couldn't wait till it happened. Are you doing it? Being a follower of Jesus is acting it out eight days a week. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. The band comes. I was severely convicted as a pastor when we couldn't meet in this building because all of a sudden we had no idea what to do as Christians. And if this is all it is, it's not enough. They didn't have a building that sat 300 people in the New Testament. They met together in homes. They met together under trees. And they were together. They cared about each other. It was more than just somewhere they went and listened to somebody talk. And it cost them something. They knew identifying with Jesus was going to make them an outcast. It cost them something because... They shared themselves, their time, and they shared their stuff. And what happened after that was an amazing explosion of the gospel. If we could just capture a little bit of that. We could break out of our shell of being apathetic towards each other. And allowing the Holy Spirit to move us. And asking the Holy Spirit, God, every day, what do you want me to do, God? Lay someone on my heart today, God. Or someone in my church family, somebody in my neighborhood that doesn't know you. God, move me. God, break me out of my shell. Squash my excuses. This is a New Testament church. This is an example that we have. This is what we're supposed to do. Heavenly Father, God, this book of Acts is so convicting, God. We compare that church to ours and we realize that we, we don't take this thing as seriously as we're supposed to. We allow this thing called a Jesus follower just to be one of the many things that we are instead of the defining thing that we are. God, light a fire under us. Help us to get excited. Help us to be passionate about 
being together and in unity with the same purpose and the same goal. To love you, love people, and to go. Great commandment, the great commission, God. God, change this church into the church that you want it to be. God, we have something good. We've got something comfortable. Break us out of that. Push us. And give us the boldness to do what you want us to do. As we continue in this attitude of prayer, maybe you're here today and you say to yourself, you know, I'm not sure yet I am a Jesus follower. I'm here in church and, you know, I'm interested. But I haven't yet put my faith and trust in Jesus. We talked about repentance. We talked about how it's not through our works. It's all about the work of Jesus on the cross. God created a perfect and a holy world that had no sin. But he gave us a free will. The ability to choose. He gave us freedom. And over and over again, we have chosen our way over God's way. And through that, hurt and pain and disease and sickness and death flooded into the world. That's how we got to this place. That's how we got to this broken world. Continually, me choosing my way over God's way. And it caused a separation between us and God. And the story of the Old Testament is all about God pursuing his people and them continually rejecting him. And at just the right time, 2,000 years ago, God himself got off the throne. Jesus Christ, born in the flesh. And he lived this life. He walked this earth for 33 years and he did miracles and he taught people and he never sinned. And then he laid down his life on the cross. An innocent person dying for all of us guilty people so that you might come to God. Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's putting your faith in not your works, not church membership or, or anything else. Putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and turning from your wicked ways and asking him to save you from your sin. If that's you today, why don't you take that step? The words aren't important. You just got to know that you're a sinner. It's got to be genuine in your heart. You got to know that there's a penalty for your sin. And that's a separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus, uh, Jesus already paid the price. You don't have to suffer that. You simply got to put your faith, trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. It's your only means of salvation. We're going to stand and sing, worship God. I want you to take a moment while we sing to call out to God and make that choice once and for all. And if you do, if you take that step, that's the biggest thing in the world. Let us know that on the back of your connection card, that I chose Jesus, if you make that choice today.